Why do we pray? No, really, think about it. Why do we pray? Why do we participate in this ancient ritual? And when you think about it, we've let other rituals go over the centuries. Animal sacrifice, well, that's gone. Vestal virgins, gone, and thankfully that was not a part of our tradition. Parading across town, gathering believers to come to service, sadly, that's gone. But prayer persists. Well, actually more than persists. You might say it thrives. We are called to regular and frequent prayer as a part of a rich spiritual life. The writer of James seems to think that prayer is the balm for just about whatever threatens or ails us. Any among you suffering? Pray. Any of you cheerful? Sing songs of praise, which are really a kind of prayer on steroids. Are you sick? Have the church elders pray and anoint you. Prayer will save the sick. Prayer heals, according to James. Prayer even controls the weather, as James' allusion to the Elijah story suggests. So I guess if we follow James' logic, we pray because prayer works, right? I mean, we heard it this morning. This, it's clear, undeniable truth. Prayer works, right? Or does it? Does prayer really always work? Well, think about it in your own life. Have all of your prayers been answered? Anyone? I didn't think so. I think it's fair to say that at least sometimes our prayers go unfulfilled. Despite my fervent petitions to the Almighty, Alabama continues to put the best college football team on the field. In spite of my pleas, the New England Patriots won all those Super Bowl rings. Sorry, Claire. I think it's fair to say that at least sometimes our prayers aren't answered, at least not the way we ask. One of the concluding collects for the prayers of the people says as much. It goes, accept and fulfill our petitions, not as we ask in our ignorance, nor as we deserve in our sinfulness, but as you know and love us and your son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Prayer is not always being answered as obvious. Janice Joplin never got her Mercedes Benz. Arkansas, maybe prayer helped last night with the game, but we'll see what happens with Georgia on Saturday. Israel suffered for centuries at the hands of their conquerors, Egyptians and Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, and so on. And there's no doubt that Jerusalem was filled with prayers as successive fortress walls came tumbling down. Prayer doesn't always work. That's a big deal, especially for us as Episcopalians. We often refer to ourselves as a people of the book because of our reliance upon Scripture and especially the Book of Common Prayer. We use the Book of Common Prayer for our hourly, daily, weekly, and annual worship. It is filled with prayers. Prayers for sadness, for joy, for the nation, for creation, for farmers, for politicians, which we don't use that much. Prayers for life, birth, death, and the promise of resurrection. Prayers for repentance, prayers for absolution. Sometimes just count the number of amens, because that's a clue to the number of prayers that we're saying, although even that is only a fraction of the total. More than a people of the book, Episcopalians are, I think, a people of prayer. 
So if anyone needs to understand why we pray, we do. Otherwise, why not toss the book of prayers out the window? Discard it like we did with all those other rituals centuries ago. Why do we, a people of prayer, why do we pray? Let's turn again to James' epistle, maybe try to understand more. The overarching project of the book of James is to develop an understanding of who exactly God is. Now, this is not about the persons of God, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but more about the characteristics of God. What kind of God is God? And for James, our understanding of God turns on two key convictions. The first one, God is compassionate. God loves and cares for all creation. And the second, God is powerfully involved in the world. Ours is not a distant, uninvolved God, but an intimate God that makes things happen. And this understanding of God for James only makes sense if both of these things, are, if the follow, both the following are true. One, that prayer, that is the way we communicate with God, prayer can affect change. And God, this intimate, involved God, hears and responds to our prayer. Prayer is the way God is involved in creation. God's desire is to hear and respond to our prayer. It's because we're in deep covenant, in deep relationship with God. Our prayers reach God and God has the desire to respond. So why then do some percentage of our prayers go unanswered or unfulfilled? Was God distracted, bored, busy watching TikTok videos? Does God not care? Our friend James, again, suggested we're thinking about prayer in the wrong way. Throughout James' epistle, there are three key points, and prayer is vital to each of them. First, James is very interested in taking care of the way we speak. Now, you may remember Peggy's wonderful take on this a couple of Sundays ago in her sermon on speech using James. Prayer creates a kind of safe space where we say what's on our mind unfiltered, with God. Our tradition includes a number of ways we can take God to task when we feel the need, when we're upset, angry at God, lamentations, the book of Job, the numerous Psalms where the speaker wonders where the heck God went. We are not mute in prayer for fear of saying something wrong. Our God is a big God. God can handle it. Prayer lets us voice what's on our heart. Second, James is interested in caring for those in distress. And he sees prayer as not a largely private affair. It's not a personal affair. Prayer works on us to mold a community in which people are committed to each other. Think about how it feels to be around someone that you know has a deep prayer practice. How comforting it feels. How it brings you closer. How it relaxes you. The community that prays together stays together. It strengthens our bonds. And finally, James asks us to be careful about what we put in our lives. You know, what we eat, drink, what impure thoughts we might have, and so forth. And here he sees prayer as a kind of self-treatment, a therapy against the toxicities that face us every day in the world. Think of prayer as a kind of spa treatment to defend against the world. Throughout James' letter, 
we find the key themes all come back to prayer. Prayer does so much for us and to us, whether they're unanswered or not. Prayer gives us space to utter words of wisdom. It unites us as community. It's a therapy to counter the world's toxins. Prayer gives us so much. It is, is it so important that it be answered exactly as we ask? I don't think so. In a very real way, we pray to heal ourselves. God is our capable healer, our spiritual physician. Prayer shows us that words are important. And in today's Gospel reading, we found the disciples upset again by some words. They're all worked up because someone is using Jesus' name to cast out demons. And it's working. How dare he? He's not in our cool crowd. He's not one of us, you seem to hear them say. They sound a bit like the mean girls of the early first century. And Jesus has none of it. He calmly responds, Do not stop him, for, one who, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. It's kind of calm, cautious logic that puts the disciples in their place. Jesus is saying that just saying his name will change the person. The utterance will make them transformed, converted, reformed. This reminder of the power of saying Jesus' name made me think of the Jesus prayer. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's a simple, powerful mantra that originated in the Eastern Orthodox Church and is used and loved by Catholics and Anglicans and others around the globe. And it's a simple mantra of worship and humility that goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This simple prayer has power. It's been described as, quote, more than any other prayer, the one that helps us to be able to stand in God's presence, unquote. Simply saying Jesus' name has the power to transform, to change us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's a tradition associated with the Jesus prayer that I'd like us to try, if you will. It's the engine of a kind of meditation. First, to the extent you can, find a comfortable seated position on our pews. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable with that. Just get comfortable. First, quietly repeat the prayer three times, moving your lips as you speak, whether you say anything or not. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Next, repeat the prayer three times in your head in silence. While you're doing it, feel yourself going deeper into stillness as you calm your overactive mind. And finally, Again, silently repeat the prayer three more times. 
Imagine it being inscribed on your heart with each repetition. Imagine it molding your very essence and your being. Speaking Jesus' name has the power to change us. We are a people of prayer, confident in the knowledge that prayer works. And it works because of how it changes us, how it opens us up to wisdom, to the right kind of speech. It binds us closer together, creating the kind of community that prays together and stays together. And it's a therapy that counters the toxicities of the world. Prayer stills the soul and quiets the mind. We, a people of prayer, are comforted in the knowledge that prayer works deeply and profoundly. It changes us to be more like Christ. and It may give us unbelievable powers. Know that our prayers are being answered the minute we drop to our knees. And that, my friends, is why we pray. Amen.